Welcome to the Highly Objective Podcast, where we talk to cannabis industry executives and investors and go into the weeds on recent news. Yay! Okay, today we have with us the Merrimet team, Robert Fireman, who is the CEO, and John Levine, who is the CFO. Um, so with that, I'll kick it over to, to Robert for introductions. Dave, thank you very much. Uh, and thank you for the opportunity to speak. Uh, <clears throat> just a little background. I mean, Marimed is a vertically integrated seed to sale, multi-state operator. We're dedicated to improving the lives every day uh, of people through our products, our actions, and our values. Uh, we own and operate cultivation, production, and retail facilities in five high growth states with plans to expand our footprint into more. Uh, several differentiators between us and other MSOs include our validated management team that's been together in the industry for nearly a decade. Uh, we first started as a advisors to cannabis businesses uh, and who were operating. We helped them win licenses, develop properties, learn technologies, build SOPs and best practices. Um, and now we're in a strategic plan to consolidate these businesses into our public company, which is Marimed Inc. We're on the OTCQX and we trade under the symbol MRMD. Uh, you know, we're committed to uh, uh, developing the best products. It starts with our, our, our commitment to grow uh, craft style flowers um, in state-of-the-art cultivation facilities, uh, resulting in products uh, in our Nature's Heritage Flower and Concentrate brand, which are the top sellers in all our markets. We uh, developed our own proprietary uh, portfolio of branded uh, infused products. Our Betty's Eddie's uh, brand and others uh, have won national awards at LeafLink, uh, as well as our dispensaries and our whole operations. Uh, we sort of differentiate ourselves as we built all these businesses organically, we didn't raise a lot of money and buy other people's business and try to assimilate them. Uh, we've won the licenses, we've created the, the jobs, the workforce, the best practices and the markets. You know, also uniquely, we, uh, we today are highly profitable. We have strong revenues and are profitable on a cash flow basis. Well, we took on some equity to clean up all our debt, have a clean balance sheet, and we have significant cash on hand to execute our strategic growth plan. Uh, in fact, while many of the other MSOs didn't make their numbers this third quarter, uh, we uh, made them and we continued our guidance and we believe we will meet or exceed our guidance and revenue, which is now at 118 million uh, in revenue and 42 million in adjusted EBITDA for the year 2020. So, so talk to me a bit more about 
how you guys have managed to, you know, outperform the peers during these tough times in, in cannabis? What's really, you know, been some of the driving factors there? I think it's our approach to uh, financial discipline, both in our operations and our financing. Uh, we uh, run this uh, uh, lean and mean, putting our money and our ideas uh, into our technology, our properties. So we, uh, we love being debt free and we uh, try to make every business decision we make, uh, make financial sense. We don't overpay, even though we're looking for certain acquisitions until our stock gets higher and is a better currency. We only look to merge or strategically align with people that share our vision uh, and we don't overpay to be in a particular state uh, because it's good for our press releases. So I think it's our discipline approach. I mean, John might have uh, some other better answer to add to it because um, he keeps the money tight. So John, any idea? Yeah, I mean, I would only add that our, our brands that we uh, have on the market in each state and that we license in additional states, as well as the roll-up and expansion of our retail in Illinois and Massachusetts with the adult use has helped us uh, help grow our revenues. Great. And I'd love to revisit, you know, sort of that decision because you guys have been in business for, you know, call it a little over 10 years, um, you know, or at least in the industry. Um, what sort of was that inflection point for what you guys are doing now where you decided to rather than just help out clients apply and win licenses to actually operating these assets yourself? And, you know, it's something you're, I know, still in process of doing with Delaware and Maryland, but what was that? timing and rationale for that? Well, I think, uh, you know, early on, we were early on in this industry when, when the states that were rolling out RFPs required uh, not-for-profit medical-only licenses. It was a competitive process. And uh, back then when we started, uh, investors were a little more afraid of the federal illegality and prohibition. So we developed our structure to become advisors, licensors, owners of real estate, and got our revenue through uh, rents and percentage rents and services. Uh, we didn't touch the plan, but I think as we saw uh, Bay Street and Trudeau legalized in Canada and the concept of uh, raising money in Canada and becoming uh, larger MSOs, we uh, saw that the movement uh, was comfortable for us to try to uh, roll these uh, companies uh, into our public companies so that we could report the revenue uh, on our financial reporting. And uh, that's sort of our first pillar of our strategy. And we've done that successfully in Illinois and Massachusetts. Uh, and uh, that's why 2020 was a transformative year for us. When we rolled those two uh, uh, state licensed cannabis businesses uh, into our public company at the same time that adult use was uh, allowed and legalized in both those states. <clears throat> that revenue, uh, 
in 2020. At the time we had one dispensary in Massachusetts and three in Illinois. And that revenue gave us a, a, a record year of more than doubling our revenue in, in 19 uh, to 50, uh, almost $51 million. 20 in year 20, I'm sorry. And that momentum allowed us to give guidance for the first time. And since then we've added uh, a dispensary and we've expanded and ramped up those facilities. And we were comfortable at the end of 2020 to give guidance for 100 million in 21, which uh, we've now passed and uh, adjusted our guidance and up to 218 million. So I think uh, we didn't decide to do a public uh, on the CSE in Canada. We stayed on the OTC and uh, we're very successful in our cannabis business. And, and you know, with some of these consolidations you're doing for things that were under a, a managed license, um, are they competitive M&A processes or because of that relationship already with some of these past clients, it's, it's more of just, you know, figuring out what's the right price that works for both parties? Well, some of them we uh, um, are simple and uh, just paperwork uh, and others uh, we made deals back then. We, uh, we, they were competitive. So we looked to support people that were local that had some uh, uh, need or uh, uh, some mission to do with cannabis and helping people. And we supported uh, their efforts uh, and brought our breadth of our experience, our capital around them. And those we've rolled up. <clears throat> so we're uh, in the process of, uh, we can't do that to our Delaware operations because it's still a not-for-profit until the state changes the rule. Uh, we have to treat that differently. Uh, we've, uh, we're working, waiting for the state to approve us in Nevada. Uh, and we're hopefully, uh, transform our Maryland client uh, into our fortitude uh, in the near future. Yeah, I'd like to just add that, you know, we, as Bob said, we had contracts with most of these people as we were building these uh, processes out at the beginning. We worked with this management group and we trained them and they became very strong operators, which have helped us have them as partners in each of these states to help us continue to grow strongly and to bring our shareholders better value. Right, and, and you know, I, I wanted to ask that question because I know M&A expansion to additional states is a part of the plans. And you know, in, I think it was an investor presentation that was put out about two months ago. Um, there were eight states listed, Arizona, Connecticut, Michigan, Missouri, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, and Ohio. Um, but I think from an M&A perspective, there hasn't been M&A outside of those managed um, license agreements with, with past clients, correct? That's correct. Um, so we, we take a measured approach and we, we don't want to rush in and pay these outrageous numbers that are happening in the market today. We're very conservative and we look out for our shareholder <laughs> interest in making sure that we're doing these deals in the proper manner that are going to make our company the proper value for the shareholders. Right, every deal, right, so every deal we look at has to be accretive. 
and obviously we're very cognizant of not being dilutive to the detriment of our shareholders. So can you speak more to you know what you're potentially looking from a multiple perspective? I assume given your you know high EBITDA margins, I think it's about 38, 39% EBITDA margin uh, from what you just reported in Q3. Are you more so looking at an EBITDA multiple and sort of what is the range that you're comfortable paying for some of these targets? Well, the marketplace is four times, four to five times EBITDA. Uh, and that's sort of what we know we need to pay. Uh, we haven't done that yet, <clears throat> uh, but that's sort of uh, what the market is. Uh, then there's some uh, of our peer MSOs that have more uh, capital and uh, their stock is at a higher multiple. So I think when our stock gets to where we want it to do, I mean, right now we've uh, upgraded our bench. We're upgrading our C-suite. Uh, we're just hired a new uh, VP of investor relations. We just hired a uh, uh, obviously, Howard's come in as our chief communication officer. We just got coverage with uh, one analyst in the industry and hope to have a few more in the next couple of months. We need to get our story out there. We need to have a clear understanding that <clears throat> Merriman's not just the consulting company. We're now a seed to sale, uh, full MSO, vertically integrated with top management, the best brands and uh, cash flow positive and um, that's it. I mean, we're looking to acquire single state operators in some of these states that want to be part of something big, that know that competition's coming and that with our brands and our power and our best practices, uh, they add to the Maramed story. Our company is, is made up of the people that are in it our commitment to DEI, to social justice, and to making uh, our culture. I think when people visit our facilities and meet our team, they're amazed at uh, how hard people are working, but how happy they are for the opportunity of being in this new emerging industry and uh, being part of it. So uh, I think it's a total package. And I think Maramed steps stands out amongst its peers for that kind of uh, story and uh, image. And Day, I'd like to just add, going back to what Bob was originally saying about the uh, what the market's going for, is that these cap rates are really adjusted based on a deal-by-deal -deal situation. It's a very difficult industry, being very young, this industry, and people having crazy money being thrown at them, that some of these cap rates are just are what we feel is a little bit unreasonable and not real. We try to look at the cap rates at a, at a value of what's more of today, not what's tomorrow. Right, and, and I think, you know, growing out four to five times EBITDA, I think that's on 2022 projections, right? Because um, yesterday, I think Jushi actually just uh, announced an uh, acquisition for some Nevada assets and they paid four and a half times 2022 EBITDA. Yeah, um, and, that, so and that's like going that, off for the future. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, one, one year for it in, in cannabis uh, is a long time. We look at uh, actuals first. Um, 
my father said, you can't get drunk on a promise bottle of booze. So uh, <clears throat> we worry that. I looked at the Juicy Deal. <clears throat> They're much more aggressive than M&A. I was wondering how much of that was cash and how much was stock. Yeah, that one was, see, I think it was 21 out of the 52 and a half they were paying was in stock and then 16 million was in cash and another 16 roughly is, is in notes. Um, so yeah, it's a, a decent chunk of change uh, on the cash component for sure. And I agree with you guys in terms of waiting until your, your stock price you know, increases more so you're, you're not diluting shareholders today uh, by so much. Um, and, and on that point, you know, would love to touch upon that. I think you guys have actually been one of the better performing MSO stock uh, year to date. I mean, it's, it's been tough for most MSOs, but you guys actually have done quite well. It's still discounted from where you were in the past two, three years. Um, let's talk more about why you think um, it's discounted. I know we kind of touch on it. It's awareness, right? You guys are now finally getting um, analyst research coverage, which you hope to increase. And I think that's a, a problem the industry as a whole sort of has, right? Um, for sort of the market caps and, and the revenue and the EBITDA numbers you're putting up, there should be way more research coverage. Um, but can you speak more to, to why you think uh, you're so discounted <laughs> versus peers? Well, I think it's multifaceted one. Um, an easy answer is that we're still on the OTCQX. <clears throat> We're not uh, listed on the Canadian Stock Exchange that obviously had more analyst coverage from Canadian banks, analysts. Uh, however, we're probably considering uh, a dual listing in the short future so we could get more liquidity and more uh, retail and possibly more institutional players in the stock. Um, and I think it's telling the story. Obviously, uh, we had a little pivot into the world of CBD and hemp back in 19. And we were going to be heroes till the CBD uh, market collapsed uh, before we turned that into a huge win. But I think we, uh, we took our hit, we paid off all our debt and we're committed to our core cannabis business. I think uh, we need to finish the consolidations that we told the marketplace we were going to do, and we hope to do that in short order. <clears throat> and I think uh, with that credibility and our consistent uh, earnings and revenue, uh, I think we'll get the multiple we should. Obviously, uh, you talk about Juicy. Um, I think the last time I looked, if we got their multiple, our, uh, our market capitalization would be uh, probably three or four fold today. Dad, uh, I'd like, to yeah. like to just add in that I think part of the confusion is a little bit of what you brought up at the beginning was that <clears throat> we were a management company and a consulting company and our revenues were growing over uh, time, year over year and quarter over quarter, but it wasn't the large numbers as it, is now when you're reporting the actual revenues. So I think the story was part of the problem and the fact that we uh, weren't on the market up in Canada. So a lot of people weren't able to follow us or purchase us because in the US there's restrictions of transactions of uh, traders is become very tight until the laws change. 
Yeah. So, so speak to me about, you know, it seems like you're in dual list on the CSE. Um, what, what does that mean exactly, um, you know, to, to get that dual listing? Is it just additional administrative fees? Is that kind of why you guys have stayed away from that when other cannabis names have been on the CSE? Um, and, and, you know, when, when does that happen? Because I do believe the additional volume and, and just eyeballs from Canadian investors can certainly help. Well, there are certain investors that uh, consider the OTC not an exchange they can be on. <clears throat> but I, I think it's uh, when we passed on doing an RTO when the heyday of the CSE was created, right? It, it uh, <clears throat> you know, we didn't raise those hundreds of millions of dollars uh, and we stayed where we are. I think the CSE, uh, uh, our goal, we would hope, we had hoped that Senator Schumer and the US Congress might've passed the, uh, the Safe Banking Act. And uh, we've been uh, watching a way to go to NASDAQ um, uh, if that had passed. And if we could get to NASDAQ, uh, we felt that the Canadian exchange would be not necessary and somewhat obsolete. Now that we see we can't get much through our Congress, we want to do a list to get more investors in there, more retail, more analysts. We'll still be a US registered SEC reporting company, but I think that that access might open up new doors for newer long-term investors and uh, all our advisors suggest that it would be a very positive thing for the stock. And also being a lean company where we were running things very tight, trying to concentrate on the core business of growing the business the way we have, it was less hassle to pay attention to the dual listing at that time. We have the ability to do it now as we hire more staff to grow with the industry and with the demand that we can concentrate a little bit more now. And if we choose to file, filling out the paperwork and getting onto the Canadian market. Yeah, I'm curious if, if that impacts um, some of the cannabis ETFs from owning uh, Amerimed, right? So obviously there's MSOS, um, but even yesterday we had uh, Poseidon launch their cannabis ETF. Does not being on the CSE prevent um, some, some of those uh, ETFs from voting up on, on Merrimed? They're all different. Um, we know some can invest and we're talking to them. And I'm sure there's others that will have a restriction because of it. So uh, it's, it's really seamless to us to uh, just file our audited financials. And I think uh, we hope we can't see any downside to do it. And I think that's why we will do it in the short future. Got it. And, and then, you know, one of the, the other points on growth uh, for the company that, that was announced uh, in the press release, right? So four points, and I think we've touched upon uh, some of these already, but one is consolidation, which, which we've spoken about. Um, two is just increasing capacity in production facilities and, and adding more retail stores in the states you're in already, such as, you know, adding the, the stores in Massachusetts to get up to the cap. Um, we talked about M&A, um, which is a part of number three, um, and the other one being new license applications. Um, so we'd love to touch on, on that third point before moving to the fourth. 
Um, from a new license application standpoint, what states are you focusing your energy on today? Yeah, we just uh, upgraded our application writing uh, with a gentleman who's uh, 137 of the Illinois licenses for economically impaired teams. Um, we're going to apply wherever they've come due. Yesterday we filed, or today we filed in our, our Ohio for the lottery for the five dispensaries. For 75, we could win up to five. We're preparing to uh, apply in New Jersey that the RFP just came out for, I think it has to be filed by December or something. Uh, we are uh, applying uh, in Connecticut, waiting for the final uh, RFP to come out. And there's others coming up. There'll be some new licenses in Florida, but wherever they are, we, uh, we prepare to uh, uh, organically uh, win the licenses while we uh, sometimes do a combination of new licenses and acquisitions in those states. I think uh, Illinois, we're killing it in Illinois with our four uh, dispensaries. We're in conversations uh, with some of the winners of the dispensaries and the craft licenses to uh, acquire them uh, once the court decides their process was legal. Obviously being vertical in a state like Illinois uh, that's robust with 12 million people, uh, a small craft production facility would allow us to improve and fulfill uh, our four stores and we could uh, expand uh, legally up to 10. And obviously we could put our products like Betty's Eddie's into the Illinois market, <clears throat> which uh, in the medical program was a few years ago, the top selling uh, edible in the medical program in Illinois. So it's like that we, uh, we're looking to uh, find states where if we can't find a licensing partner that shares our, our quality and values of a consistent quality. Uh, now that they break these licenses up, we could acquire a production and distribution uh, or go completely vertical in some of these other states. We believe that uh, ultimately uh, MSOs are going to look more like consumer packaged goods companies. We believe that branding and distribution and customer loyalty uh, will be more relevant as uh, the, the states get more legal and federal legalization comes. So we're on top of that. We believe science innovation, direct to consumer, uh, database marketing, we're improving our digital marketing. And we think that's the future. Uh, we wanna be part of it and be the best in it. So on that point about brands, um, you know, I think your strongest brand certainly is Betty's Eddie's, um, but how do you sort of grow some of the other brands um, that, that are owned versus licensed? Um, that's a part of the Mary Med family today. Well, I think we, uh, we own most of the ones that we produce. Uh, we will license uh, a few that we think are unique and will help us in our revenue. But yeah, Betty's Eddie's is, uh, is killing it. It's the number one selling uh, edible here in Massachusetts. It's top selling in Maryland. 
or wherever we have it. Uh, our bedtime, Betty, uh, I, I was told that passed some huge number for 2021. Uh, we believe that while the brand is hot and, the, and we're leading in the category, that we should expand that as rapidly as we can. I mean, we, uh, we see how well uh, Nancy did with Juana. Yep. With her gummies and, and we believe we're outselling her in the markets that we compete. So we believe branding is important. It was to Canopy. Um, it's not the top revenue winner of us, but I think the long-term sustainable revenue will come from consumer acceptance, fulfilling their needs with top quality products that they not only improve their health and well-being, but that are great to taste. So we're at the beginning of science and innovation. I mean, we're looking to come out with a new brand of, uh, uh, of, of powdered energy drinks, which we believe will be a, uh, an easy uh, consumer acceptance. We've uh, tested it under a different name and we're coming out with a brand of itself. We've just uh, partnered with an old uh, ice cream company called Emac and Bolios that uh, uh, to do an infused uh, ice cream or vegan creamless uh, cannabis ice cream. Uh, and we're looking to uh, do other things. We're coming out with new baked goods, but I think uh, we've just taken on a consultant that has had much success in marketing. We're upgrading our marketing team. We're looking to go deeper in certain product lines and we're looking to uh, expand that across as many states as we can, as we can do in a financially uh, managed and disciplined manner. So, so I'm glad you brought up those two product innovations. Um, you know, I, I get the, the beverage powder. Certainly we've seen a lot of success with uh, the hydration mixes, right? The, the liquid IVs and hydrant and some of these things are pretty lightweight, pretty easy for consumers to mix it with their you know, beverage form factor of choice. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious about the vegan ice cream. Like it's challenging enough for dispensaries to have fridges for ready to drink beverages. Um, isn't this going to be tough from an ice cream standpoint to have freezer space to then retail the ice cream? Yeah. We've, been, we've been doing some research on the <coughs> freezer equipment and we have found some freezers that actually will become a shelf for the uh, dispensaries to actually store product above it while not taking up much footprint within the vaults. It's a big issue in most of these dispensaries where their vaults are limited on the size, but they can actually stick it right underneath a shelf and use that top part as an additional shelf. They're gonna be front end loaded versus a top end loaded like most freezers. <clears throat> it has taken us time to look at each of the markets to make sure that those freezers would all work. It was a challenge, but the ice cream market has been doing pretty good here in Massachusetts uh, with a a company that already launched ice cream. So it's it's in the market and it's one area that we feel that we can do pretty good as we'll have a high quality flavor and uh, product with the Emac and Bolio's ice cream. Right, and, and the challenge that John raises is, is the challenge for some of the new beverage 
companies because most dispensaries are not that large and uh, most laws in most of the states we deal with require that everything be kept into a vault, uh, keeping pallets of cans of uh, infused products is a challenge uh, for the space. And that's why we think our powdered beverage uh, that will create the same thing in someone else's seltzer uh, might have some uh, not only easier to distribute and create the same effect and be much more convenient for the use of the consumer. But uh, no mistaking that uh, the habitual replacing a glass of wine with a can of THC soda or a drink uh, will have its place in the marketplace. And a lot of people are running at that space, as you well know. Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly excited to, to try uh, the ice cream once it's in market. So I'm, I'm certainly uh, looking forward to that launch. Um, you know, another thing I want to go back and, and visit is you're in five states today, uh, most of which are, you know, Northeast and, and with sort of Illinois being Midwest. Um, and then you have Nevada. Um, what, what's some of the thinking around if that, you know, makes sense for the business? Is that sort of, uh, you know, send sort of mixed signals with potential investors that you kind of all are, you know, kind of over all over the place, right? Not all over the place. That's not the right word. I'd say more so that you're not just saying you're a single state operator or you're a regional state operator, let's say, right? Just focused on the Northeast or just focused on, on the Midwest. Um, do you think having Nevada as one of your five today um, sends like, uh, the mixed strategy uh, potentially, um, and because of that, because you know the reason I ask that because I've been paying attention to Verano even, not Verano, um, Goodness Growth, Vario, um, and you know they certainly have sold off some of their assets in certain states that might have been far away from their, their Minnesota kind of headquarters. Um, so what's what's the thoughts on you know, that as one of your five states? Dave, when we first got into this business as a consultant and an application writer, <clears throat> you uh, were writing for the states that were dropping their apps, and Nevada was one of the more early people into this market. So we wrote the apps. We were successful at getting that. But Bob and I also started this business when we were introduced to a, a group in California, and that's how Bob and I got into this industry originally was setting up a grow and retail store in California and building that out and then bringing some of those processes to Mass sorry, to Rhode Island. So being all over the place is, is hard to believe, but when you have years of experience as we have built up, we've learned to manage these facilities from afar. We do have staff that goes there a constant basis to do training and oversight but we run everything pretty tight out of one location. It does have its challenges on the different time zones, but again, having over 10 years of experience, we've been able to conquer a lot of the uh, difficulties and make adjustments to the processes so that we're staying on top of that. And I don't think that Nevada would be a major issue if we roll that in today or in the future. Right, and let me just add to that. we. Uh... I mean, there are other companies like you mentioned that had a dispensary here or another state with no real strategic focus 
in the market they're in. We, uh, we won an early uh, cultivation license in Nevada, but our goal in Nevada now is to go vertical, to get our Bettys and our other brands uh, into that marketplace because with 34 million visitors, uh, there are certain things that are striving. So we'll go to markets where we know we have a strategic plan to be successful, not just to be there. Um, so we're looking and, and we can manage everything. Obviously from our headquarters here in Massachusetts, we build the teams and we'll have the teams and the proprietary equipment to go wherever we have to do and make sure that it's done exactly as if it was done here in our home state. Let, let me just correct one thing, Jay. We have already have manufactured and distributed successfully in Nevada, the Betty Zetties and our Confusion lines. Got it, thanks for correcting that. Um, and, and you know, part of that same mixed focus questions, um, you know, certain MSOs are sort of very focused on one state or, you know, just adult use, let's say. Certainly some, uh, like a Columbia Care, might be focused on, on both. You guys are certainly focused on both. Does that make it more challenging to be both focused on, on medical states and adult use plus medical states? Well, I don't think it makes it more difficult. Um, obviously, medical was the beginning in some of these states before they transferred over to adult. Um, we believe medical has its unique market. Uh, there's limitations on the adult program with size of, of, of servings. And I think there's uh, people that really need medical help that love uh, saving on the taxes that are less, the prices that are more reasonable, and the uh, medical dosage, which could be larger uh, to suit their medical needs. So I think you need to watch both. So in certain states, medical has gotten eaten by adults, but even in states like Colorado, it's holding its own. And in Massachusetts, it's holding its own. So uh, we'll do both. Sometimes it's an entry point. I mean, obviously the people in New Jersey that won the medical licenses are hopefully sitting in a, a priority position to get adult use as well. So that's another advantage to getting medical where you can. That's why we're applying in uh, Ohio and having a medical license when they, if and when they do convert, we'll be in a pr proprietary position to get the larger license. Yep, no, I think that, that strategy of being in market when it's medical, and then, you know, having an early start, you know, flips to adult use certainly makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and one other thing you brought up, um, going back to your decade of being in the business, um, you guys, you know, had a license or, or a few actually in California. What's the thought on California for, for Merrimed? Uh, California has the best and the worst of everything in our industry. Uh, it flourished with no regulations uh, and regulations has put um, challenges to that industry, um, which is now suffering, uh, limited shelf space, oversupply. So I think uh, our entry into California would just be on the branding and distribution side. Um, 
and we, we wouldn't uh, think about a vertical there at this time. I think uh, wholesale prices are coming down. Uh, there's a lot of uh, flour that somehow can't make it to the shelves and seems to be flourishing a black market uh, heading to the Eastern states. So California needs to fix its regulations uh, and help that industry get back on the, uh, the, the road to success. Right, I, I, you know, I just didn't know if you guys view that, um, or I guess, you know, certainly business environment makes it challenging to compete in California assets today, but you know, with the mention of potentially licensing some of your brands in the state, do you feel like it's a state you need to have a presence in as sort of like a battleground state for brand recognition, right? For some of the same reasons why you might want to be in Nevada with the amount of tourists you have, just with the amount of residents. Do you feel the need that you need to build a brand and have a presence today in California? Well, I think we ultimately need to be there. Um, but we're not there. Uh, you know, I had conversations all the time. Um, we've talked to Ease about getting on their direct to consumer, but we need to make money for our shareholders. And we're not interested in saying we have market share. We're interested in making profits and revenue and continue to have the, uh, the margins of our earnings and revenue. So we'll be in California ultimately, um, but we'll be there at a time when we'll get our name there and our brand, our categories would do very well in the certain competitive categories in California. So we'll be there, but we're not gonna be there to lose money. We're gonna be there to make money. Yeah, I think that makes sense. That's sort of what I'm, I'm seeing in you know, Florida and uh, you know, California even today, where there are certainly folks who are discounting pricing in order to win market share. Um, certainly margins will take a hit, but market share, hopefully in theory, will increase. And so it makes sense that you guys aren't yes. sort of playing uh, the market share game given uh, your numbers. Yeah, we, uh, we talked to a lot of the successful brands out there about taking them to other states east. Um, and they were pretty, uh, I won't say arrogant, but they were a couple of years ago, they weren't as humble as they are today. <clears throat> Makes sense. Um, and yeah, just, just last question for, for both of you. Um, you know, given your decade-long experience in the industry, what's been sort of you know, the, the biggest insight that you've had in, in that decade? Um, and you know, answers to both of you. Well, the biggest, I mean, this industry gives us new challenges every day. I think the biggest vision of anyone, and I say this to people coming in, everybody thought legalized pot, we're all gonna make a lot of money, it's a walk in the park. Um, from all our experience in other industries, it's been the most challenging. It's been the most uh, heavily regulated, compliant, where everyone that is going against you is always shooting at you. It's not for the faint of heart. Uh, the margins are coming down in more competitive states and the people that thought they could, you know, if you can grow pot for $1,000 and sell it for $4,000, uh, you can make a lot of mistakes. Um, 
But the, the, when it's $1,200, you better know what you're doing. So I think the, the uh, industry's changing. It's becoming more, uh, I'd say more uh, normal to other industries. You need to be cognizant of margins and people and run with efficiencies. The people that will survive and be successful are the people that will have financial discipline, uh, know how to run a business, watch their margins and really work hard. So it's been a learning experience for us. Um, and I think uh, with the advent of legalization coming, uh, Merrimet's position, no matter what happens in Washington, for us to be successful on a, uh, on a minor macro or you know, larger level. So yeah, it's been a journey and uh, you know, I think the best thing that we can say, and I'm talking a little long, is, you know, when we see the relief it gives to people, uh, kids with epilepsy, people with MS, Parkinson's, I think some of the uh, things we do to improve the lives and health of people is why we got in it. And we still see that growing as more people and more adapters use cannabis for their relief. And Dad, I'd like to add what my experience has been. I mean, what this industry has really taught us is really that you have to stay focused on your goals and tasks at hand, finish what you're working on, don't get distracted by the industry making changes or people going out and doing um, fast, crazy things to grow their businesses faster. We've been more like the tortoise, just moving slower, doing the growth in the proper fashion. Our balance sheet, our income are showing that. And I think it's going to continue as we grow this with the proper strategy that we've put in place. The other pieces are is that over the number of years that we've been doing this, we've been learning the proper flows, systems, and equipment that need to be used. We're not going out spending crazy money on building out our facilities. People are very surprised at how efficiently we're able to build these facilities and operate them until they're generating positive cash flow and then expand them simply by just adding some additional equipment or new equipment. We stay up to date with all of our technology and we research better ways to do everything, but we've found that everything that we've set up over the years has worked successfully. We've had very few issues. And uh, I think that's part of the operating success that a uh, successful company is gonna need in the future in the cannabis industry. Great, thanks for those insights. Um, yeah, I certainly think you guys have a great financial profile. Um, certainly, you know, pay attention to the slides that you put out there comparing yourselves to competitors. And I, I think, you know, with additional coverage, um, hopefully more investors will, will learn the story. Um, and, you know, all you guys can do is to keep executing um, on, on the guidance you've put out. Well, thank you. Thanks for joining. Thank you very much, Dave. I appreciate you taking the time with us today. Thank you. Likewise. Dave. Speak to you soon.